He is so faithful. He doesn't let us down. The beautiful words of that song are so true. Um, I've experienced that in my life, and that's what I'm here to tell you about today. I would thank Pastor David for giving me the opportunity. Um, we do this as a tradition on Mother's Day, being the mom of the house. I'll give a little message. <laughs> and um, But uh, I want to, Rachel, when she was praying, made a really, uh, really good description of Mother's Day. Even though it's a joyful and awesome day, it can be a delicate day too. Because I know and I've always thought and realized that Mother's Day might be a, um, you know, just a really awesome day for some people, but some people it might not be. So I always, you know, I'm always mindful of that. Motherhood has been a um, complete joy for me. There's, there's nothing like it. But I know that um, people have different life experiences. Life is, is different for everybody. So just mindful of that. So And kind of keeping that in mind and also realizing that we're not only speaking to moms here. And I want you, you don't have to leave if you're not a mom. Hopefully this will apply to you and be relevant to your life. <laughs> so, um, so this message is intended uh, for uh, you and whoever you may be. Um, then also to your children, if you have children, but then also to everyone that you might have influence over. Now, today's day, the word influencer is a big deal. If you look up the social media, influencer is a new thing. It's quite remarkable. I'm older, and um, it's it's a new world where somebody's online presence can make them an influencer over thousands, millions, millions of people. So, um, but, so the idea, the world understood the idea that we influence each other. Like just, you know, we don't have to have some uh, body in a position. We can influence each other. So I think that's really true for all of us. We influence um, other people. So that's who we're speaking to today. Us, our children, and anybody that we have influence over. And so I um, come to Mother's Day. I'm like, what should I talk about? And the, um, I just basically want to give advice for what I've thought I found to be important in life and what I've thought to be important to teach to my kids and, uh, you know, just things that hopefully would be practical. <laughs> but um, this is uh, a little more kind of an uh, interesting topic. The message today is called The Real God. And um, that's what it's about, the real God. And you're like, that seems a little oversimplified. But then you're like, wait a minute, maybe it's way too complicated. How can you even say what the real God is? So it might be one or the other, too simple or too complicated. But, um, but I found that it was, uh, I think it's a, an important thing to think about. And the more I thought about it myself, I thought it's just applied to me numerous times over and over in my real life. So anyway. So um, understanding the real God is something that we want to teach, but we have to have it for ourselves, and we have to live it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to um, look today at three things. Number one, God is real. Number two, God is big. And number three, the Bible is true. So how that's not too hard. You'd be able to remember that, right? <laughs> so let's look at number one. The Bible, I mean, God is real. God is real. So um, I have a little quote here. It's, you know, um, the struggle is not to discover what you believe in contrast to the, what the world is telling you. That's not the struggle. The struggle is to discover what is true. Because if you believe something, Pastor David has said this many times, it may or may not be true. And what you believe is really doesn't have a bearing. It doesn't change reality. So you might believe it, but it doesn't mean it's true. So that's not what the world is, is angsting over. What do I believe? Who am I? All of these questions about the internal self. But what we need to find out is what is true. 
So, um, the, and so we're going to be looking at the uh, Genesis 1-1 God of the Bible. Now, we're going to call him the real God. And some people certainly disagree with this. They, uh, people certainly disagree with this. But, um, but that's what we're, um, we're taking a look at this morning. So um, I'm always trying to figure out what, why people do what they do. You know, people have behaviors, they say things, they do things. But it doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, people don't just randomly do whatever. It comes from somewhere inside of them and somewhere inside of their heads. Something motivated that. So um, I've seen that if you look closely at what people do, it can be explained by what they believe and what in their hearts they believe in. Um, this quote is from Richard Wormbrandt. He is um, a gentleman who was a Christian believer in um, Romania. I think it's one more forward, Ruby. Hopefully I have it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so there are two kinds of Christians. Those who, those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. You can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. Now this is, um, so this this is really um, got to the heart of what I was thinking. Like a lot of times Christians, we believe that we believe, but do we really believe? That's what we want to know. There's people who flat out don't believe. Well, that can be understandable. But, but Christians might think they believe and, um, and kind of go off in some crazy directions. So basically this um, message kind of birthed out of this book I read. Pastor David shared um, a little information from it. But there's this book called The Fall of the Evangelical Nation by Christine Wicker. And Christine Wicker is a former Christian. She wrote, she was uh, raised in an evangelical um, denomination and fell away from the faith, does not believe. And she wrote this book, and her basic, I think her, her basic premise of the book was evangelical Christians have too much political power and they're not as powerful as you think they are, is what she was trying to say. And she was whittling down all the reasons why there really aren't as many Christians as everybody thinks there are. And, and um, I'm sure her, a lot of her, her points were so legitimate and so true. Well, a lot of people who claim to be Christians really aren't. She pointed that out. We know that's true. But um, um, what was really uh, striking to me was she gave different reasons why people do not become Christians. And what was even more scary is she, became, she gave reasons that people leave Christianity. And as a mom, as a believer, as a Christian, that was, that was what really, it, it struck me. It really, it moved me. And, um, and that was the reason for this message. And when I was looking at uh, these, these, what she was writing, the reasons people left all had to do with them changing their minds about God being real or not. And their, their uh, new way of life, the past, the different paths they chose, all really stemmed from them believing no, no more in the God or believing in a different God. So, um, so I wanted to find out about that because a lot of uh, what she covered was kids who had been raised in church, grew up, and left the faith. So, like... <gasps> That is um, very hard. <laughs> so, um, and she pointed out, like herself, there are many people who believe they, who are all in, but they um, go off. They drift off and they go other ways. So I wanted to take a look at that and just kind of explore it. And this is by no means everything, but um, some reasons. So, some reasons why this could happen. So um, the first one, I would say, when we're going to ask, why do people turn away from the faith? Um, 
my first thought was that people have a, um, a kind of a set of expectations. Like you expect how something's going to be. You expect how God's going to act. And I made these little slides. I drew them on my iPad, thanks to Haley, who taught me how to use good notes. So if you want to bring that one, the first one up, Haley. Okay, so we have life. Everybody has life. It's very complicated. Next we have our wishes and expectations. I had a lovely conversation with my beautiful grandchildren. And they said, Gammy, what is a wish? And what's the difference between a wish and a prayer? And I said, wow, that is an amazing good question. A wish is something we just want to happen, but a prayer has power behind it. There's something behind it, like power to make it happen. They were like, what, Gammy? <gasps> anyway, but um, that's how true of all of us. We live our lives. We have wishes, dreams, and expectations of how life is going to be. But then next we have the perfect plan of God. And the perfect plan of God, sometimes it's right on the wishes and expectations list. It'll match up exactly. And God will like pour out exactly what you ask for sometimes. But sometimes, if you look at the next slide, it doesn't happen that way. And it's the big, God's plan is like not even lined up at all with wishes and expectations. And in that place between what we want and what God does, there's this huge gap. And it's dark, and people are confused, and they make assumptions. There's confusion and doubt, and it's a, it's a scary place. And you can guarantee that you'll face this, and your kids will face this. And um, they'll understand that this wasn't what I thought God was like. I did not think God was like this. And in this position, a person can go from believing in God to turning away. I mean, just like, I don't, I don't want that God. God isn't real. But what's interesting about that is what we did was we took um, the God, who is the real God of the universe, and put ourselves in the place of defining what God should do and who God should be and how God should act. And instead of believing in the real God, we made ourselves into the human God. So I just always caution that um, it, people could call me a pessimist or you're not having faith or anything like that, but I really feel like it's just God understanding that God may, might, might be right on or he might not. And um, I heard a, a friend once say that God is still God and that that's really true when, that, um, when things don't come out like we think they should. The next thing is also... This is, uh, we'll have one more slide here, Ruby. Oh, poor Ruby, I told her there was going to be a lot, but we'll work together. <laughs> so the next thing that can happen is I want what I want, and it's not what God wants. And this really, this is, was the most common thing that um, this book quoted. She wasn't saying it this way. She wasn't explaining it this way, but um, it would, she would give an example of somebody who desired to do something that was in contradiction to what the Bible says. And um, so they decided to do that some other thing and just like redefine who God was in order to be able to do that thing with a clear conscience. So supposedly a clear conscience. Anyway, that was, that was just a redefinition of God. Um, so uh, that was like a way to go off the path because when you engage in that, I don't have to follow what it says. This is what I feel. I'm the human God making the rules, and I'll make God be what I want God to be. Then you can really go off the path that way. So, um, so that is just a good thing uh, to like ingrain is like we don't make the rules. 
We don't make the rules. God does. And we'll talk more about that. So next, um, you come to a place where you decide that God is not real, as if you can decide that. Think that. It's like one time Pastor David shared a message about what was during the Easter messages. And in the garden, you know, after the garden, they came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus goes, you can't arrest God. He submitted to it. He submitted to it. You can't arrest God. So if you decide that God is not real, what difference does it make if you decided that? God didn't change. You didn't change God. So it's, you know, it changed you. It really changed you. And um, and you went into a position where it's what I think that matters. It's me that matters and what I think. So, um, so you need, so personally for yourself, um, ask yourself all the time and have an ongoing thing in your life of asking yourself what is the basis for what you're doing. Because it can be, like we're here today because we believe God is real, right? You know, uh, we're here, we did the, you know, just why, what do I believe anyway? And if you find yourself going us off, you know, a different direction, ask yourself, are you choosing to believe God's not real? And um, does, it, does it differ? Is there something in your life that you don't like that happened in the world, in your life, that you don't like? Or is there something that you just want to do just because you want to do it and you don't care who says don't do it? So um, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, it kind of describes this process. It says, take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that, that's the key to it, is the deceitfulness of sin. There, my favorite verse, my, oh my, Gina will know this, I've said it all the time, my friend, she goes, my favorite, one of my favorite Bible verses is not up there. Is like in Jeremiah, it says, "The heart, the human heart, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else." That's, I mean, that is one of those scary verses. So our hearts are deceitful. We can deceive ourselves, and we promptly go to deceiving other people as quick as we can. They go together. But what we decide does not change reality. We just need to rem- um, remember that. So that's the problem. Everybody got it? People turning away, not believing, not liking life, wanting to do what they want to do. So how can I protect my babies from this? Or the people I love, how can I keep them from this? So that's it. You know, another, I have a few thoughts on that, a little advice. And um, this is just from Lori's Mom School 101, Life School 101. (laughs) So the first thing I would encourage is that you teach that God is real. I mean real. Now, we teach each other and talk to ourselves and say, I, I was, as I was thinking and mulling, you know, preparing this message and mentally, I would come to a point where I'd be like, oh, God is real. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whereas, I, you know, I really had to make myself remember that. If you challenge yourself to meditate on this, and when you get into a pinch, you know, remind yourself, wait a minute, God is real. God is real. We know all about God. But how we know all about God, but do we really believe God is real? Right. Not just a set of facts, yeah. stuff that we know. And that's kind of how uh, the, and we have to teach that to our kids or people that we influence, but we need to go beyond that. Like we, and we need to teach about, you know, about the who God is and what he's like and what he, you know, all that stuff and the facts about God. But we want to always make sure we're providing that 
the real thing. This is like real. I'm not just making this up. This is real. Okay. So, um, so this is also, um, this concept is described in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away from it. You can see that by the you know, words kind of cautioning us that you can, you can be fine and drifting. Like anybody who does boats, we don't, you, know, you can like be drifting and not really realize it. And you can be like way, I mean, on a beach, that's like a caution. You can be way down and not really realize it. So, so just the idea is like as you're teaching, as you're living, as you're influencing, to just say this is about God, but it's, it's really real. I mean, I keep saying that. This is like a revelation everybody has to get for themselves. If you can ask God this over and over again, seek me and you will find me, God is going to show you this, and he'll show it to you, so it's cool. So um, next, we want to live our lives in a way that indicates and shows that we think God is real. How you live your life can be in a direct contradiction from what you say about God. And if you do that, all you're doing is saying God's not real. I may say this. But I don't really believe it because look what I'm doing. It's the opposite. <laughs> and I wanted to give an example of a sweet friend who, um, who understood about anxiety in a way that it was, it was, it was a beautiful um, sharing of her heart about what anxiety was really like and just the, the travel, the road of medication, therapy, hospital, I mean, every treatment that the world could provide for anxiety, which is like a plague on the nation, on the world now, anxiety. Everybody is so full of anxiety. And being a deep thinker, my friend, just fell right into that. Oh, of course we'll be in anxiety if we think of all the things that can happen. And we get that, that. I mean, it's just, it's, so you go to the world for help on that, and, and there was no help, no help, none. But then my sweet friend decided to try Jesus. And really try Jesus and live as if Jesus is real. And the girl is free. I mean, she's free. (laughs) And her life, none of the above was required. All she has is Jesus, and she lives that way. Now, do we go into, like, human stuff and we go there? Of course we do. Of course we're human. Jesus said he's mindful that we're just dust. We're made from dust. God knows that. But the idea of how she lives her life is Jesus is enough, and her life proves that. So, um... So that is what an example of living a life that is as if God is real. <laughs> so here's the challenge. This is what you're dying to ask me. If we had a panel right now, you'd be saying this question. So how do we know God is real? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a uh, good question that you would like to ask anybody? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. Okay. The first one is science. My favorite topic. If you know me, you, love, you know I love science. <laughs> And you're like, oh, but I'm not a scientist. I'm a nurse, but I'm not a scientist. I'm like a, um, what do you call it, a, a lay scientist. I like just read all the stuff and get all amazed by it, understand about this much of it, but this much is enough to convince you God is real. So um, this goes along with what um, one thing that I really think is true is that we have to have faith, but along with faith, we have to have reason. We must reason. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord directly says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So that first 
that for come let us reason together says the lord gives us an idea of like god is not you know the world will forever be telling you god just wants you to do whatever without thinking christians aren't thinkers the, the evangelical nation was full of that full of that about christians don't think it's so stupid but and, and god tells us not to think which is the opposite here's proof it says think be thinkers so um so you teach uh you gather that idea in your mind that you're going to reason life out because you have to make sense of it faith is is the bridge because we can't reason everything out there is a bridge of faith obviously we have to trust the Lord with faith but we still are think we still are thinkers we don't check our brains at the door permanently and not ever think again so um so um and one reason I think this is so important is because like if you are raising children they're going to come to a point where they you're not uh, they're not under you anymore so when they get there the whole idea of I believe in God because my parents believe in God will not hold them when they're facing an entire world or their entire everything that is saying God is not real, that's a myth, how are they going to, my parents believe in God? Is, you know, how far will that go? So your children need to understand, they need to think it through, think it through. Because God's not afraid of that. God is not intimidated by that whatsoever. So, um, so, um, so science is, is a big helper with us, right? Um, Science does some really amazing things and some really stupid things. So science, the idea of science is that it uh, records observable, uh, observable facts. Like it'll you know, show you what's a fact and be objective. And that is so amazing and true. But it will also put a philosophy behind a fact, which is not necessarily, which frequently, most frequently is not true. And it's an assumption and it's not an observable fact. An example of this is Darwinian evolution. Oh my gosh! Believe me, you could get um, you could get uh, you could get canceled for that. <laughs> so, um, but if you read and actually study about Darwinian evolution, and I highly recommend the works of Dr. Hugh Ross and his organization, Reasons to Believe, Reasons.org, full. I mean, PhD level, real scientists, biochemists. I mean, real science. This is not. I mean, they're real. They really know what's going on, and they will tell you in very high technical terms why Darwinian evolution is is a philosophy and not a and not a fact, and why it has actually been disproven. Yeah, disproven. And I actually I recently read that the philosophy of Darwinian evolution is what what kind of sparked the First World War, because there was a writer who wrote a book, a German author, I can't, I'm not going to give you all the details correctly, but his philosophy was based on survival of the fittest, that they believed as a nation, survival of the fittest, they had to go start a war. So philosophies are dangerous, facts are good. All right. Now here's an example of facts where science had to take a bow to the facts of God. Because the, um, the facts will always prove God. They will. I mean, a fact, God made an apple, so that in the end, the apple is going to prove God. God made us. God made, God, made the, God made everything. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. So uh, God made all that. So the, the facts will always come to prove him. So what happened was, is they, they get science, develops new technology, they can measure everything. Unbelievable, the advances that they've made. And what happened was, they looked at everything and discovered that there was an odd thing happening. That in order for life, human life, to exist on this earth, 
I mean, I can't even do, you know that thing where they do a number like 10 with the 40 zeros behind it, the power of, like, this is how it's not an accident. <laughs> so they do that. So science had to come up with a term to define that, and it's called the anthropic principle. I know, you're not in school, just bear with me. I'm just going to give you this one little definition. <laughs> this is a, a definition. The anthropic principle says, <laughs> now if you go, if you go look this up on the internet, they'll, you'll find layers. They've layered this up with, with like worldly philosophy, but this is what it means. This is from Hugh Ross. The anthropic principle says that the universe appears designed for the sake of human life. More than a century of astronomy and physics research yields this unexpected observation. The emergence of humans and human civilizations requires physical constants, laws, and properties that fall within certain narrow ranges. And this truth applies not only to the cosmos as a whole, but also to the galaxy, planetary systems, and a planet that humans occupy, right. namely Earth, right? right? So this, they look everywhere. Every, every discipline of science, everywhere, they look and they are like, this, if this one particular thing didn't happen, humans wouldn't exist. I mean, really, y'all think I'm making that up. The angle of the moon, the distance from the, all that. You, you think I'm making that up. I'm not. <laughs> so science and um, observable truth is, will always prove God. But be careful for philosophy. And what things that's not objective. And, you know, philosophy. Anyway. Okay, so the next thing is, without science, now we have observation. So all you have to do, and this is what you teach your children to do, or the ones you influence, just look around you. I mean, this is so obvious. God makes everything beautiful in and of itself. And um, the unspeakable beauty of everything that God creates, like, shouts out his name. This is actually said in Psalm 19, verse 2. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The dome of the sky speaks the work of his hands. So you can see that God is like shouting to us all through his creation. I made this. I made, look at this. I made this. I made this. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. So, um, so look around you. Like, look at what God made. Everything. You, you don't have to be afraid. you like, and like I've, to your kids, you'd be like, they'd be like, yeah, I mean, he made that. I'm like, well, God made that. Well, who made this flower? Well, God made that. He made that too. I didn't make it. Did you? You know somebody that made that flower? No, it had to be God. So it's just obvious, even though you don't, I don't know, you don't know X, Y, Z, how he got to it. He's God. He did it. <laughs> so um, observe and look around you, and you'll find that. So um, then next we have experience. We have um, the experience of other people, and then we have our own experience. So like my friend and her experience, you don't just brush that under the rug as if that's no proof. Ooh, I, would, um, oh, I heard this one thing. I'll see if I can say it right. Somebody said, how do you know what the weather is in Chicago if you don't have a weather report in front of you? You call somebody in Chicago and ask them if it's raining or not. And if they tell you it's raining, it's their experience, and you can be pretty sure it's raining. That makes sense? <laughs> so don't just brush that under the rug, the experience of other people. It, it's powerful. And then your own experience. This was kind of um, the last one because this is the one that really counts in the end. I mean, this is like when you come right down to it. Your mind is deceiving itself. It wants to do what it wants to do. It's mad. You can always talk yourself out of everything. But you've had an experience, and God will have an experience with you somewhere. 
if you ask him. Now, you could just block the whole thing and say no, but if you ask God, there's going to be an experience that you have with God. And it probably not like every day, every minute, like I have miracles I could tell you about, but you have an experience with God, and you can teach your children your, and people that you influence that that can be trusted also. You know, the world just like blows that off, just blows that off. Like, that's not, blah, blah, blah. but God, you know, he experiences, he interacts with us. So um, we can take that into account and believe him. So now, that was number one, God is real. Number two and number three follow logically. And they're just, I mean, it just flows so well. If God is real, then number two, God is big. I mean, come on. <laughs> he's big. He's big. you got to come to a place, though, where you say he's real. Because God is big. And um, here's another little science thing, and I won't say this right either, but um, recently they've discovered, like, they understood the universe, the measurements, the planets that rotate so perfectly. You can measure them with mathematical formulas. It's precise. There's laws. But when you get down to the size below the size of an atom, quantum mechanics kicks in. Now, that is a world that is completely different. And guess what? The whole thing of quantum mechanics is chance, randomness and chance. How about that? For you, like, God is big. <laughs> but you think, you know, we're, God is so big. So, um, so, you know, that goes, you know, just the whole scope of who God is and that he's so big. And um, I, I put this, I wanted to show you this image because this, oh, it doesn't show up too good. Maybe on those it's better. But this is um, a picture of the Grand Canyon. And this shows some science. God made this. Nobody, no human on earth made that. It's spectacular. I personally, along with my husband David, we observed this with our own eyes. We looked at it and we're like, oh, it means just on the ground. And it was our experience to watch it and see it. So, so when I see the Grand Canyon, your mind is going, that is too big. And then they're like, how many billions of years it took? And it was all formed out of one little tiny river. It's insane. It's insane. But you look at all that and you're like, all right, God is big. I'll take that. I'll take that one on faith that God is that big. So that um, now when we know God is big, we can take things like the Bible tells us that the very hairs on our head are numbered. Now that is not a joke about people that have hair or not. <laughs> that is God's almost like, um, like, cute, not really cute, it's like a, like a witty way of telling every single one of us, I know everything about you. I know everything about you. I know everything. I recently heard a word from the Lord, and I was worshiping, and you know, you just, you know, you get kind of like, a, I don't know, you get weird, like somebody's looking at me or something like that, and God said, nobody is looking at you. And I was like, he goes, but I am. Oh my goodness. And you know, I wrote that down. Nobody's looking at you, but I am. And that is the name of God. I am. That's how big God is. He's always looking at you. And if that God is so big, then all of the promises, then they're yours. You can take them in. You're like, you promised me you would never leave me or forsake me. You promise, you, you promise, you promise, you promise. And then all those promises are not impossible to believe because God is so big. Mm. So that's the easy part. Now the difficult part, number three. The Bible is true. This is the part people wrangle with. And people want to start here and get into a big argument with you. It's not true. Men wrote it. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. It's so proven. All that. But um, the Bible is true is where humans want to discuss things with God. That can't be true. You ain't right. I'm not doing that. 
<laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, the real God wouldn't ask, a, a loving God wouldn't ask God to do blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't ask us, you know, they, it's all a redefinition because this is the difficult part. So, um, but this is true. If God is real and he made human beings, then he wrote the manual, which is the Bible. I mean, how to live. This is the Bible. Two humans. I made you, and here's the instructions. <laughs> so, um, so that's how it goes. Now, um, the Bible tells us two important things that we have to do. And the first one is praise. Now, the people, denominations, whatnot, everybody kind of goes back and forth about praise. What is, you know, praise, praising God. Oh, it's too emotional, blah, blah. You know, pe- people go back and forth. But if you look at the Bible and took a, a, a little self-test and wrote down the number of times that the Word of God says, praise me, <laughs> praise, praise, praise God. I mean, there's direct instructions from God to praise him. And that is the correct uh, you know, God is real and he's big. What else would you do? You're not going to stand face to face with him. You worship him. You bow down before him. You prostrate yourself. You're like, you made me. You're good. You're powerful. You're big. You're everything. All of that is a praise to God. It's an acknowledgement of who God is. And we're so blessed here to have our fantastic worship team. They lead us in praise. And that's all it is. I mean, they can't make you praise God. Like Lee's powerful message, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. They can't make us praise God. But when our hearts are joined in praise with the music, and we, you know, we lift our hands because it does say lift up holy hands. (laughs) But, um... But anyway, praising is so, it's just a part of what the Bible tells us to do. And then next is obedience. And of course, that's, you know, that's one that people don't want to do. And people want to interpret what it says. But, you know, when it comes to obedience, he also says, obey me, obey me, obey me, over and over. And it always doesn't add on the little caveat, after you figure out what I say, then do it. It just says, obey me, just do it. Just whatever I wrote down, you just do that, okay? (laughs) So, um... So that is, uh, that is my advice on how to keep your kids as safe as you can. You can't make your kids believe in God. You can't make anybody believe in God, anybody. But you can bring it for yourself. You can get it for yourself. You can spread it around. You, it's the best thing you can offer. It's the best safety you can offer for your children. If you teach them God is real, they'll understand that his promises are real. If you teach them that God is big, they'll understand that God's very involved personally in their own life. You know, the human mind going, like, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Quantum mechanics is impossible, but it's not. God is real. <laughs> so, um, and then the Bible is true. We can go into that naturally and believe what God says. And all the praising and obedience that God expects from us, he's mindful that we're just us. He makes it. He makes it. We join with him in submission and, um, and decide that we're going to obey him because he is who he says he is and that our life flows from that.